Michael Bloomberg's campaign flops at Super Tuesday, and the state of movement in Puerto Rico is left with communist Bernie and PPD-controlled Biden. Meanwhile, coronavirus continues to spread globally. Also, the war inside the new Progressive Party hurts the statehood possibilities. I'm Ivan Gonzalez, and this is Inside the Colony. Welcome back, everybody, to Inside the Colony. I'm going to start today with the coronavirus. I really want to get this out of the way, and then we'll move on to the other topics that we have for you. Um, coronavirus basically continues to spread globally. It is important to mention that uh, global cases are reported by the World Health Organization, the WHO. And pretty much U.S. cases are being reported by the Center for Disease Control, this so-called CDC, which is located in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So let's move on with the U.S. cases first. And this is all based on, or as of, I should say, uh, the 11th of March, which is the day I am recording this. Um, and there has been, as per the CDC webpage, uh, 938 cases confirmed with 29 deaths. Also, as per CDC, they break out this uh, by uh, 75 related to uh, contact person to person. 98 out of those 938 cases are said to be travel related. And unfortunately, the, ma the vast majority of the cases, cases I'm sorry, Uh, with uh, 771 cases are basically under investigation. This means that they don't know, uh, you know, what is the origin of it, whether it is a person-to-person -person contact in the USA or where it is uh, pretty much travel-related. Uh, I would expect this to most likely, I mean, for now, to be most likely related to travel. But I am aware and I, I assume that as, as time passes by and, and as more travel bans are, are in effect, and, and we'll talk about travel bans here in a, in a second, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming that obviously it is logical to think that there's going to be more cases person to person because the virus will, will spread, you know, in the U.S. So, and there will be travel bans and all that. So they're not going to be coming from the outside. On the contrary, there will be basically related to person-to-person -person infections inside the U.S. But that's, that is probably something that will happen later on. But again, 771 cases that they can't tell whether it is travel-related or person-to-person, -person, it's a huge number. The World Health Organization pretty much is the organization that reports on the global cases. Obviously, the CDC reports information, but all the information that they report is pretty much taken from the World Health Organization, and they do this on a series of uh, reports, situation reports, so they say, as they call them. They, they do this on a random, you know, on a sequential number, so you have situation report one, situation report two, and so forth, so on. Right now, the current or the most, uh, or the latest uh, situation report is the uh, number 51. That is the one that is uh, the latest one as of, as of this recording. And, well, what does this report pretty much tells us is that there are a, a total of 118,326 cases globally. This includes the U.S. numbers as well. So these are all the cases. New cases as of this situation report number 51, 4,627. The total death count 
is 4,292. And the new death count, pretty much the, the, the death count related to the new numbers as of this report, 280. Let's look at the, let's compare the death ratios or the death rates uh, between global all, global new, and the USA. So global death ratios based on the World Health Organization numbers, pretty much uh, the numbers arrive to 3.6%. Global new, which is the new death ratio, uh, based, based on the new cases and the new deaths reported as of the situation report 51, uh, they pretty much give you a 6% ratio, while the USA, which is basically reported uh, by the CDC, gives you a 3.1%. Again, global and USA numbers are pretty much aligned at 3%, 3.5%. Uh, you know, it's, it's on the 3%, 4% range. Uh, it is important that you know you keep in mind that these are based on reported cases so you know that is people who have been tested seeing how symptoms are similar to a common cold for example or or perhaps a flu uh, one can only imagine how many cases are not being reported i mean i'm pretty sure there's a whole bunch of people that would think well you know maybe i just have a cold um, maybe they don't experience any any serious symptoms at all and and they treat it at home that is, there is a real possibility. I mean, we don't have this information. We don't know what their experts are saying and what the symptoms are being said and are described. It makes you wonder how many of these cases are not really being reported at all. That doesn't mean, in my view, uh, that that does not mean that the death ratio should be lower. It doesn't mean that it should be higher either way. So today... President Trump issued a travel ban, and this is a travel ban from Europe to the United States for 30 days, and that pretty much uh, will start Friday, so by the time you're hearing this podcast, the ban will be in effect since you will be hearing this on Monday, and I am recording this podcast uh, on a Wednesday. And this ban does not include the UK. Now, obviously, President Trump made it clear that he will be taking additional measures as 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 he see fit, and, and based on on the on the on how this coronavirus keeps developing in the United States, uh, he's also signing a couple of uh, measures to help alleviate a little bit the uh, the financial uh, burden and the economic burden that it, that this obviously this virus is going to have in the U.S. economy. So he's been taking measures from the start. Some people might argue that it is not enough, that he should be more aggressive. Uh, some people might say that he's he's being racist by, you know, uh, restricting travel ban travels from China at the beginning, right? Um, I, I think he's doing what he's been advised to do and making the best judgment he can do. I'm, I'm, at this point, I believe that any president would be doing the same thing. Um, I mean, irrespective of whether it be a Democrat or a Republican, in situations like this, that you know you have a health crisis that should not be taken as a political uh, topic, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be political about this. I am pretty sure not only President Trump but any president sitting there would take the best decisions that they could take based on the advice 
from that, that they would get from the from the experts in the field. And I'm pretty sure Donald Trump has you know the best of the best, and and any other person would probably uh, any other person would probably be having the best of the best. So again, I don't want to be too partisan on this. I don't want to take a jab at, at President Trump or or say that he's doing wonderful. Uh, I think he's doing what he's basically being instructed to do, or at least what he believes he is best based on the information that he's given. Whether or not that's going to be effective, whether or not he made the right decisions, well, we don't know. But at least what I can tell you is that we have to believe in what President Trump is doing, what the experts are saying to him, and obviously, uh, at the end of the day, um, hope and pray for the best. Now, I want to make a little bit, uh, I want to end the coronavirus uh, topic with, uh, the, again, with the, going back to the report, um, the Situation Report 51. The report pretty much re- states that there's a, a 118,326 cases. Now, um, I'm going to break this into regions. So, China, basically, China is the highest country. So, out of, the, out of those cases, 80,955 cases come from China with 3,162 deaths. Now, if you go to the Western Pacific region, uh, as they call it, uh, the highest there is pretty much Republic of Korea with 7,755 cases and 60 deaths. In Europe, you have a couple of interesting uh, countries here. You have Italy, basically number one on this list, with 10,149 cases with 631 deaths. Followed by France with 1,774 cases and 33 deaths. And followed up by Spain with 1,639 cases and 36 deaths. Now, why this is important for Puerto Rico, you know, it's important for the U.S., but it's also important for Puerto Rico because we do have direct flights from Spain to Puerto Rico. I have to assume that this travel ban from Europe is also going to affect Puerto Rico and we will not be having any more flights from Spain. And that is a good thing. Uh, hopefully the situation will be normalized before the 30-day period and, 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 and Trump will, could lift the, the ban, but w- we shall see. Now moving on into Michael Bloomberg and how his campaign flop affects statehood movement here in Puerto Rico. But first, let's talk about Balmoria, a fallen empire, a novel written by Carlos Martis Vargas, he's a very good friend of mine, and he did this novel just in 2018 with the help of his family and friends, and you can find this novel in Amazon, whether that be a digital copy or a paperback copy, if you want to reach out to him, you want to lend him a hand, you want to give him your thoughts and support um, this author, you can contact him at cmmartis01 at gmail.com. And his Facebook is www.facebook.com slash C-M-A-U-T-O-R-I-N-D. That is facebook.com slash C-M-A-U-T-O-R-I-N-D. Falmoria, a fallen empire. Okay, moving on into Michael Bloomberg Superflop. Michael Bloomberg spent about half a billion dollars in just roughly pretty much three months of campaign. The results, well, we all know the results. The results is that he got 61 delegates, which, if you put it in terms of money per delegate, it equals roughly about $8.2 million per delegate. Now, those delegates that he got very appreciate how much he spent for them, because <laughs> in reality, 
8.2 million dollars for each delegate is a heck of a lot. And what is the current delegate count, you may ask? Well, the count is as follows. Joe Biden, the new frontrunner after Super Tuesday, has now consolidated not only the Democratic Party machine behind him, reaching up to 887 delegates so far in the campaign. And how exactly has he performed after Super Tuesday? Well, let's take a quick look at the March 10th primary, or the 10th of March primary, I should say. And I'm going to define this 10th of March as Super Tuesday Take 2. Now, this included Michigan with 125 delegates up for grabs, Washington with 89 up for grabs, Missouri with 68, Mississippi with 36, Idaho with 20, and finally North Dakota with 14 delegates up for grabs. Biden, that managed to consolidate his party behind him in fear of communist Bernie Sanders getting the nomination and obviously getting wrecked by President Donald Trump in the general election, won Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, and Missouri, while Bernie Sanders got pretty much Washington. This gave Biden around 204 delegates on that particular day, while Bernie Sanders got about roughly 135 new delegates. And you may ask, of course, how can Bernie Sanders, which pretty much lost all the states on that day, how could he rally so many delegates? Well, remember that in the Democratic Party, winner does not take all. Wins in in Democratic Party, in the DNC, are proportional, unlike the GOP primaries where if a candidate wins a state, that candidate takes all the delegates from that state. So in here, it's a little bit different, so keep in mind that even though the, he might have lost many states, he might have come close in a couple of those. And that is the reason why he got the delegate counts that he got. So what exactly is Bernie Sanders' total count, you may ask? Well, he has right now, currently, 731 delegates. Senator Elizabeth Warren stays with 71 delegates, followed by Michael Bloomberg, the flopper, uh, with 61, Pete Buttigieg with 26, and so forth. Remember that by this time, only Biden and Bernie Sanders are competing. And with that, there are basically two direct effects of this in regards to the Puerto Rico primaries. So in one hand, this means that communist socialist Bernie has absolutely no chance, zero chance, none. He cannot win in Puerto Rico. Michael Bloomberg's suspending campaign means that statehooders, which originally rallied behind Michael Bloomberg, are now left with only a slightly more moderate candidate, which is Biden. The problem is that Biden is a candidate whose campaign in Puerto Rico has been controlled by the Popular Democratic Party. So thanks to Michael Bloomberg leaving the race, we are now expecting the Biden campaign to actually have a, a huge momentum, thanks to obviously statehooders joining the uh, populares here, in order to pretty much beat Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie, whose campaign director is none other than socialist major of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz, will pretty much be the first in line to take the L in Puerto Rico as a blow to Major Cruz, a blow strategically constructed by her PPD contenders that now consolidates with the new Progressive Party voters that are, you know, again, with no chance but to join the Biden campaign or stay home, because they're not going to give communist Bernie Sanders 
the opportunity to win the election. Like I said, communist Bernie Sanders has zero chances of winning Puerto Rico. We don't want a communist leader here. And obviously this goes in line with the chances that Bernie has in Florida as well. Zero chances of winning. There's no way the Cubans, the Puerto Ricans, and all the other Hispanics are going to give the vote to a communist. It's not going to happen. But let's not deviate to Florida and stay in Puerto Rico. On the other hand, this also pretty much means that a realistic and true plan or strategy for Puerto Rico statehood under a Biden nomination and possible presidency are very low, if not non-existent at all. Pretty much this is due to the campaign, like I said, being controlled by the popular Democratic Party. Just because of this, the most we are going to be getting from a Biden campaign is what we always get. The BS line, somewhere around this line. I am in favor of the self-determination of the people of Puerto Rico. If they so happen to choose statehood, I shall favor that option. Hell, they might not even say that last part. But that's what these candidates pretty much are encouraged to say whenever the PPD voters and the PPD machine are behind the candidate. And since the statehooders rallied up all behind Michael Bloomberg, because obviously he had uh, the most extensive and the most comprehensive statehood plan for Puerto Rico of, of all the other Democrats, well, we basically lost the opportunity to control the Biden campaign. And it's not that we don't have statehooders on the campaign, it's just that the majority of them are from the popular Democratic Party. And that's the reality of things. And what do all this means, pretty much, is, well, it means that the possibilities, again, statehood possibilities, lie again with the Republican Party. A party whose platform is the only one, pretty much, to support, to openly support statehood, and whose local GOP leaders are rallying behind the Trump administration, and his re-election efforts, of course. Here we have the true possibilities for statehood. They don't lie in the Democratic Party no more with the Biden nomination. And as racist as the liberals may think that Trump is against Hispanics, the reality is that the GOP platform is the only one to openly favor statehood against any other status option. Now, we'll move on to briefly discuss the newest episode of the New Progressive Party War. But first... It is very unfortunate that leaders of our party and our movement get on TV or radio or any other media for that matter to viciously attack one another. Not only to send attacks to each side's primary candidate, but to send personal attacks at the people supporting or running their campaigns. And it is even more unfortunate that a former senator under the new Progressive Party uses her newfound role in this new TV show to provide the light that will pretty much spark the fire between these two long brothers in arms within the state of movement. Let's look at Soela Boy trying to light the fire. Here's Soela Boy. Me parece que vas a estar de acuerdo conmigo en que el pueblo de Puerto Rico tiene derecho a saber en qué cree cada candidato y candidata. Correcto. Correcto. Okay. Yo creo, y esa es mi opinión, que los debates son uno de los mejores, si no el mejor foro, donde el pueblo puede saber quién es quién y en qué cree esa persona. ¿Por qué no debatir? First of all, let me say that I, do, I agree in part with what Soela Boy is saying. I, I agree with her that in, we should be discussing the specifics, public policy beliefs of each candidate. And 
pretty much not be discussing and not spending time with vicious, silly personal attacks. But the fact of the matter is, that's what debates are constructed to do. And one has to think of uh, the consequences of putting Pedro Peluisi and Wanda Vasquez to debate in a stage. The consequences are pretty obvious to me. And it is very clear. It is that the opposing party, at the end of the day, is going to be using all the footage, all the clips, all the audio clips to basically attack whoever results the winner of both. It, that's politics. That's how, it, that's how it's, it's pretty much done every time. You use the audio of the of your of your contender, or you actually use the audio of the opposing uh, candidate back in the primary of what he said about you, your um, your candidate. If anything, if we put, if we put Pedro Pierluisi and Wanda Vasquez to debate, which I believe we should not be doing that, and and with this I agree with Jorge Davila. The fact of the matter is that the Popular Democratic Party, whoever results the winner, their campaign is going to be using all this information and all these audio clips to actually attack our own candidate. Let me ask you this. Do you see the Popular Democratic Party candidates right now attacking each other? I don't see them. In fact, they're, they're pretty much silent. This is the reason why nobody has heard about Eduardo Batia attacking Julien, Julien attacking Batia, or Delgado Altieri attacking any of the other two. I haven't seen and haven't heard anything about it. Now, that does not mean that we will see some of that whenever we get closer to the uh, primaries. Everybody, obviously, of course, is now focused on the coronavirus and whatnot. And previous to this, uh, we were focused on the uh, earthquakes. But the fact of the matter is that we are seeing the Wanda Vasquez and the Pedro Pierluisi campaign destroy each, it, uh, each other while the earthquakes and while the uh, coronavirus are, crisis are in place. But we don't see the Popular Democratic Party candidates doing the same. Why is that? It is because, obviously, they know better. And one has to ask itself, what is Leo Diaz ultimately doing in this show? What is he doing in this TV show? He said in the TV show that he is not the campaign director for Pedro Pierluisi and that he has nothing to do with the campaign whatsoever. I mean, that's what he actually said in the TV, in the TV show. So what is he doing there? Well, if I were to ask you, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the name Leo Diaz? I'm pretty sure that most of you will say strong debater, strong character, solid statehooder. He firmly believes in statehood. Well, all those things are true. Leo Diaz is a very, very good debater. He is. On debates, he remains calm, but he f viciously and fiercely attacks his opponents. This is one of his greatest debate skills. No doubt about it. I have no, without a shadow of a doubt, in my mind, this guy is a great debater. Whether he's right or wrong in some debates, or in one idea versus another, that's, that's a completely different story. But he is, in fact, a very good debater. He does not lose his temper while he's actually viciously attacking, strongly attacking his opponent. The idea here is to obviously make the attacking, the, the opponents, so, excuse me, lose its control. And this is what pretty much happened here. But there's, a, there's also an underlying thing about Leo Diaz is that if you think of Leo Diaz and who he has supported in the past, well, pretty much you could say that he has supported strong leaders in the past, strong statehood leaders, firm leaders. Pedro Rosselló, back in the 90s and in the 2000s. His son, Ricardo Rosselló, 
both seen as very strong, very firm leaders of our party. In the past, he didn't support Luis Fortunio's primary election, and he didn't support his run as a candidate um, in the general election. He even went as far as to call him a light statehooder in many of his public speeches, while he was obviously campaigning in favor of Pedro Rosselló back then. So again, one has to think of what is the strategy behind Leo Diaz being in this program when he's not the campaign director and when he's not, you know, has nothing to do with the campaign itself. He is strategically sent to the program to give the impression that Pedro Pierluisi is in fact just that. The strongest, the firmest, and the superman of the statehood movement. That's the only reason. And obviously to criticize the Wanda Vasquez campaign. I mean, come on. Leo Diaz and Jorge Davila, they know each other. And the Pedro Peluisi people behind uh, and Pedro Peluisi and the people behind his campaign know Jorge Davila. They know that Leo Diaz can exploit the weaknesses of Jorge Davila. And that's why he's there. To make him look bad and to actually make him lose his mind, which is actually what happens. Now here's Jorge Davila explaining the truth behind debates in the New Progressive Party in the past. Here is Jorge Davila. Wanda Vázquez no va a entrar en ese tipo de, de dime y diráete. ¿Qué, ¿Qué se recuerdan? Tú yeah. escuchaste, primero que nada, aquí Pedro Rosselló y Luis Fortuño no debatieron. Pedro Rosselló y Carlos Pesquera no debatieron. El único debate que ha habido en primarias del PNP fue entre Pedro Pierluisi y Ricardo Rosselló. Lo único que la gente se recuerda de ese debate es que Pedro Pierluisi decía que Ricardo Rosselló no tenía ni la capacidad ni la experiencia para administrar el gobierno de Puerto Rico. Y... Y Ricardo Rosselló decía que él era más estadista que Pedro Pierluisi. Eso es lo único que se recuerda a la gente de ese debate y nosotros no vamos a entrar en a eso. Me... And pretty much he's absolutely right. He is absolutely right in what he's saying. Previous candidates, New Progressive Party candidates under a primary election have not debated. The only two persons that have debated are Ricardo Rosselló and Pedro Pierluisi. And he's absolutely right about what the people remember from that debate. Is that Pedro Pelisi saying that Ricardo Rosselló was a kid that was not unfitted to run the governor's seat? And that Ricardo Rosselló, on the other hand, was saying that he was a better statehooder than uh, Pedro Pelisi, which happened to have been in Congress for uh, two terms or eight years, fighting strongly for statehood. So that's what people believe, and that's, I mean, that's what people remember from that debate. They don't specific public policies aside from those so he's right he is actually right about that but here is what happens next between leo diaz and jorge davila let's let's listen to what happens next this is completely unacceptable es el, el, bueno, lo que pasa es, Jorge, que, que, que lo de la estatura moral que, que, que tú señalas, ¿verdad? Está comprometido, está reñido con el, la denuncia que hace Leo Díaz de que eh, está lamento, persiguiendo, porque es, es, lamento, es, son palabras lamento, mayores el decir que se está usando el Estado y es falso. para perseguir. Y le miente Leo Díaz al pueblo de Puerto Rico, Uf, le miente. La, y es una pena, lamento, y es una pena. Lamento que por dinero tú asumas esas posiciones, Dávila, por contratos y por mover clientes, lamento eso. Lamento pero eso. Y, 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 y lo tengo, y lo pero tengo que, que decir. Pero dije que iba a reciar los ataques. Lo tengo, ese, era, ese era ajuste. 
Ese es el ajuste. Lo, lo tengo que decir. Fíjate que dice que era que mi hermano. Y mira lo que me acaba de decir aquí. Sí. Esa es la campaña es, de Pedro Pierluisi, pueblo de es Puerto increíble, Rico, pueblo es, es increíble cómo ataca a compañeros y trata de cubrir. Yo no he atacado a nadie. El único que ha atacado aquí es usted. Yo te estoy aclarando. La discusión que ustedes están teniendo aquí, honestamente, se lo digo para el perdón. Pero se lo digo, pero Jorge, si queremos entrar en lo personal, Leo, estamos en lo Pero antes de que entren en lo personal. La situación que tú me haces aquí, delante de las cámaras, yo quiero que tú la sustentes. Yo quiero que tú la sustentes. Tú, tú estás acusando. Si no te atreves a sustentarla, entonces tú no sabes. le mientas al pueblo de Puerto Rico. Tú sabes los clientes. No le mientas tú sabes al pueblo de Puerto Rico. Da explicaciones de tus clientes. Tengo, tengo clientes. Da explicaciones de los clientes. Tú, tú, tú explicas qué está haciendo Pedro Pierluisi ahora y quién lo mantiene. Pero una pregunta. ¿Cómo después de estos, de, de estos ataques <ríe> ustedes pretenden, <ríe> después, de, después de junio, no cómo partido. ustedes se van a unir? ¿Cómo ustedes van a estar la abrazados? La campaña de Pedro Pierluisi va a continuar a Está bien, pero uno de ustedes dos. Entrando en lo personal. Uno de ustedes dos va a perder tranquilo, inevitablemente tranquilo. uno de ustedes dos va a ganar y, uno, y yo quiero Pedro saber yo no si sé. tiene el apoyo yo, del pueblo está bien pero yo quiero saber y están cómo. utilizando Venero. el aparato del estado para Muy perseguir bien. a sus correligionarios pero después de los ataques eso es ilegal completely completely unacceptable from both Leo Díaz and Jorge Davila you don't you don't go into personal attacks this is this is completely wrong and like I said before this is audio that is going to be used against us and who knows what ends up happening, this is going to divide the party. And Leo Aldrich is actually correct. How are you supposed to basically unite the party if you are attacking yourself as this? If you are actually attacking one another so viciously, he's actually very right. And it is something that we need to all be looking for. How are we as a party are going to unite at the end of the day and beat the popular Democratic Party in the general election? This is something that we really need to be looking for. It's, and it's really concerning. How are we, at the end of the day, after all these insults, how are we going to unite both sections of the party? When everything is said and done, whenever Pedro Pierluisi or whenever Wanda Vasquez wins the, the nomination of the party, how are we going to go down and sit and talk to our base and say, you know what? Forget what we just said down there two or three months ago. No, forget about that. We are now with Pedro Pierluisi. We are now with Wanda Vasquez. Join us. How are we going to do that? If we personally attacked each other, if we insulted each other. I'm sorry, but this is no way to run a campaign. And I agree with Soela Boy that we need to start discussing the public policies and what each of these candidates believe without insulting each other. We don't have to do that in a debate. And with that, I agree with Jorge Davila. We don't have to do it in a debate, but we have to do it somewhere. And we got to stop these attacks. Now... I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to move on to something else. On other news, the Weekly Journal, local newspaper that is powered by El Vocero, and this is not an advertising, that after a year since a U.S. district judge ruled for the equal treatment under the Supplemental Security Income for Puerto Rico, still, the U.S. government has not done a single thing to achieve this equal right. The article, written by Giovanna Garofalo, is titled, Puerto Rico Still on Hold for Supplemental Security Income. And I'm quoting, On February 4, 2019, Chief Judge Gustavo Gelpi of the U.S. District Court of Puerto Rico ruled that U.S. citizens on the island are entitled to the same Social Security Supplemental Payments or Supplemental Social Income as citizens who reside in the mainland. More than a year later, the federal government has not taken the necessary steps to ensure that all U.S. citizens have equal access to financial aid and government benefits. 
While similar in the name, the supplemental security income differs from the social security program. Economist Antonio Rosado explained that the social security is a benefit that employers and workers pay throughout the employee's work life. That is, social security is a type of workers' insurance that is deducted from their income. This retirement plan applies to all retirees regardless of their place of residence. By contrast, the supplemental security income is financed with the federal government's regular revenue. It comes from personal income taxes, corporate taxes, and other federal taxes, Rosado told the Weekly Journal. Another distinction from the regular Social Security is its eligibility. In order to apply for the Social Security income, an applicant must be at least 65 years old, or be blind or disabled, have limited income and resources, and be a U.S. citizen, a national of the U.S., or an immigrant who meets certain applicable requirements. Even if an individual was a supplemental security income beneficiary in the mainland, if they relocate to a non-incorporated territory, with the exception of the Northern Mariana Islands, they lose their right to continue receiving this supplemental income. End of quote. And yet, I say, we continue in our colonial slavery mind that we should continue to promote and embrace to continue outside of the U.S. IRS code as a foreign country. Remember, for income tax purposes under the IRS code, Puerto Rico is treated as a foreign country. The result, at least under this program, is that even a U.S. citizen that resides in a state that is receiving the supplemental security income, even if it's receiving it in the States and it moves to Puerto Rico to live here for whatever reasons, this person loses its benefits. This is what has been happening so far. This person that will move to Puerto Rico will lose the benefits of the supplemental security income. Not only is this discrimination for U.S. citizens, but it also discourages U.S. citizens abroad to move to Puerto Rico, unless you give some sort of tax paradise decree, which we actually do. And it seems like it's the only thing that in our colonial slavery chain minds we can ever think of. I believe it is long overdue for us to demand to be treated under the U.S. code and finally break the colonial chains of being regarded foreign for tax purposes. The Weekly Journal also reports, and I quote, first suspected cases of coronavirus reported this week, end of quote. Quote, unquote, a 60-year-old Italian tourist on board of the Costa Luminosa cruise ship became Puerto Rico's first suspected case of coronavirus this weekend. The woman, who boarded the ship in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, after arriving from her native Italy, allegedly didn't show any symptoms when she first boarded, but developed them during the voyage. After docking in San Juan, the woman had been taking antibiotics prescribed by the chip's doctor was taken to the Ashford Presbyterian Hospital. Department of Health protocols have been activated after more suspected cases were reported earlier this week. Now, as of today, it has been confirmed that this lady and her husband are positive of coronavirus. There is also another patient confirmed with coronavirus, a 71-year-old man, which is in the Auxilio Mutuo Hospital in San Juan, and a fourth case that has been confirmed in Mayagüez. All these confirmations came after the CDC pretty much took a week to send us the results of the tests that they were taking to these patients, and some claim that it was mishandled by the uh, Puerto Rico administration. However, and also as a result of all this mishandling, the Puerto Rico Health Department Secretary, Dr. Rafael Rodriguez, resigned, and Governor Juan de Vasquez named Dr. Concepcion Quinones de Longo as the interim secretary.
It really shouldn't be any surprise to us, as is the case for Donald Trump in the USA, that the media and the press and the left want to see Juan Damascus stumble once again. The press, the media, the left, they all crave the same thing, that the new progressive party leadership stumbles and falters, so that we can blame them and have another summer of 2019. And listen, I am not saying, and I don't intend to say in any way, that the current administration has have problems, and it is obvious. There's going to be, when there's, whenever there's a new challenge, there's going to be problems along the way. This is a virus. A government cannot fully control the spreading of a virus. It is a virus, after all. It spreads. That's what they do. But the government can do many things to try to mitigate and try to uh, prevent for the spreading to be actually worst. You cannot stop it from coming in, but you can pretty much control how much it spreads. Obviously, the government is not here alone. Everybody has to be responsible individually, and they have to make sure that they follow the security protocols and the recommendations of the experts. And so does the government. At the end of the day, the government uh, institutions and the governor and all her cabinet members are going to follow the best recommendations of the experts, just as Trump. And I'm pretty sure as any other president and any other government in their own states would want to do. It is no surprise, and it shouldn't be any surprise, that they will try to do the best they can. Of course, like I said, they will have problems because when you're dealing with a crisis, you don't deal with it perfectly. But the goal of the media is not to show that they're making a mistake. The goal of the media is to make sure that they they can show how exponentially bad every single mistake is so that you can so that when the real mistake is is made, you actually feel like this is a real crisis. So that you feel that since the beginning Everything has been done with gross negligence so that you, the audience, will, will feel like you have been let down since the beginning, that the government is corrupt, that the government is negligent, that the government can't do pretty much a single thing right, when in reality, that's not even true. Many things are done right, but some things are not done right. However, when a press, when the media shows to you that every single thing is done incorrectly or that everything that they do is so egregiously bad, the ultimate composition you make on your head is that the government is pretty much broken. Nothing works. You feel let down, depressed, frustrated, and ultimately very angry. And what do you do? You create another summer of 2019. Or, in case that doesn't work, you manipulate people into voting in the general elections the way you want them to vote. That's why the media is the so-called fourth power in our society. A power that you do not elect by vote. And that it is free from an appropriate level of criticism, just like the government institutions happen to have. Let this be a wake-up call to finally understand the obvious. That the government is an instrument and a key player in every society, and as a key player is here to assist and be a facilitator to every citizen, to its constituents, but is not here to, and should not be here and should not be expected to be the answer to all our problems. That is why precisely, as a conservative, I believe in less government intervention 
a government as a facilitator, a smaller government, and a real strengthened private sector economy and freedom of the individual. It is imperative that we understand finally that it is our own responsibility as individuals to take care of ourselves, the people we love, and others, and that we are the ultimate responsibles for our own freedom and our own prosperity in life. The government is just here to be a facilitator for you to achieve this the best way possible. And on this note, I really want to end this episode. I am Ivan Gonzalez, and again, this is Inside the Colony. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a 5-star review. Also, please tell your families, your friends, and everyone you know about this podcast and tell them to subscribe as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and almost everywhere you listen to your own podcast. And if you want to support this podcast, you can also go to anchor.fm slash itc slash support. That is anchor.fm slash itc slash support. You can find a link of this in the description of our channel. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.